Well, we finished up with a uh, multi-week, I think five-week series on mental health, which was incredible, incredible. If you have missed any of those series, I would recommend you go online and listen to them you know, because that, that whole series, and we're, there were three different speakers that were doing it, uh, was really incredible. And it, ironically, it, tur- it turned out, I was talking to my brother, he's a pastor of a church in Great Falls, they were doing... Uh, almost the exact same series at the exact same time, unbeknownst to us and uncoordinated with us, and they had also some, some mental health professionals who were teaching some of the sessions. So um, this is a very important, timely message for uh, our communities, in whether Montana, uh, whether Great Falls, Helena, or wherever. And the, um, I would just tell you that if you, if you missed any of that, go back and, and re-listen to those. Here's, here's the heart of, of part of that. Now, obviously, and there were some distinctions that we drew because we're not, some of us aren't experts, although Daniel Champers was, he spoke a couple times, and he, I would call him an expert in this field. But you've, in the world of, of mental health, you do have some, you know, some, uh, maybe some diagnosed, uh, what's the word I would use? I guess you call it psychotic disorders. And I, I'm, an, I'm a county attorney, I'm a prosecutor, so I deal extensively in mental health in a lot of different uh, of my cases. And we have a number of, of people that have a diagnosed mental illness where there's, you know, really the, the first line of therapy has to be psychotropic medication to even stabilize someone to get them to the point where you're into therapy and some of these other things. But the thing that Daniel really emphasized is that a lot of what we're dealing with as human beings is, uh, it boils down to attachment and it boils down to relationship. It boils down to how we interact with other human beings and where we maybe have had some pain, we've had some damage, we've had some, some injuries as young people and then how we carry those things through in our life, it requires, uh, it requires healing, requires uh, reconnection and it certainly requires not just reconnections with other human beings and with some of those relationships that matter to us, but that's certainly where God wants to interact and wants to heal us and wants to uh, restore things that are broken. So before we proceed, I want to pause and say hello to Aaron, talk about things that God has done mighty, mighty works with. So I was, I was looking for Aaron Schwabauer earlier this morning, like, hey, where is he? So uh, Aaron was injured recently at work, and so we're just so, so blessed that you are here and doing well, and we'll continue to pray for you. So, so excited for that. So, all right, back where I was. So, kind of where I want to end, this isn't really a continuation of the mental health uh, series, but it's more of a, okay, so what? As Christians, what do we do with this newfound knowledge? And uh, the simple answer is we reach out and we connect with other people. And we're going, to, we're going to walk through God's Word a little bit on that, because we, the people here, most of us here certainly, uh, uh, are in a place where we're understanding, we've, we've, we've gained the knowledge of Jesus Christ as our Savior. Jesus Christ is, is the one who heals us, who forgives us, who loves us. And when, when you've reached that place, that amazing, life-changing, uh, uh, I guess, forgift of forgiveness and salvation... We, we don't just kind of sit on and go, okay, well, I met Jesus, and now I'm just going to hang out for the rest of my life because I kind of, you know, if, if there was this line, right, I, I crossed the line, I made it in the door, and now I'm just going to hang out. 
Well, that's not what God told us to do, is it? He told us to give to others. He told us to draw deeper into Him. He told us to love others and to share His gospel with others. So that's what I want to focus on as we talk about this, because there's a lot of lonely people out there. We know a lot of lonely people. Some of us are lonely people. And, and God said in, in the book of Psalms, he said, God places the solitary in families. For a lot of people, we are the family that he wants to bring them into. Okay? You are the family. And so to do that, we need to act like a family. How do families act? Well, sometimes they fight like cats and dogs. <laughs> At least my family. I don't know, maybe your families were more peaceful. But families are, uh, they know you, they know each other better than anyone else, don't they? They're the foundation. When you look back and say, who's my identity? It's hard to, it's hard to really know my identity, who I am, without looking at my family, both strengths and as well as some of my weird uh, weirdness. I can blame that on my father. So families, families kind of have this... Oh, we're getting some agreement in the second row here. <laughs> families have this not only urge and obligation to keep, keep accepting you, keep coming back. Now, now obviously, we all come from, uh, from, from different families, and some of those families are broken, but God's ideal of that family is a family that, that shows unconditional love, forgiveness, acceptance, and yes, training and correction and confrontation when you're wrong and uh, working through those difficulties of what it means to be a human being, a human being that's sinful, a human being that's needing both God and others' forgiveness, and a human being that's going to screw up but continually keep trying. So that's a family. That's what God's called us as a church to do. So that's why I just called this today. Re reach out and connect. That's what we're going to focus on. So who does, who does God send? And this is interactive. Who is God going to send to reach out to the solitary to bring them into his family? Who's he going to send? Us. All of us, right? That's us. And... Here, I'm going to read a, a scripture that is often misinterpreted. If you go to the book of he Ephesians, if you have your Bible. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. So, this, this verse is always, the, the first part of this is always used to talk about the foundations of, a, of ministry, right? We call this the fivefold ministry verse, right? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 says, and I'm reading from New King James, he gave us apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves, and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, craftiness, and deceitful schemes." Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with, with which it is equipped, when every part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds up itself up into love. So that's a, it's an amazing, long statement and encapsulation of our, of our 
mission. Well, the problem is, is so many times we stop at the very first part, the very first part. He gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Okay, so those big five mighty people of God are going to go forth and do all these things. But that's not what it says. It says their job is to do what? It's up there. I highlighted the, I highlighted the key points. Their job is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for building up the body of Christ. So who's actually the ones that are being equipped to do the work of the ministry? All you saints out there. <laughs> it's not, hey, the pastor's going to go do all this, the, the apostle's going to go do all this, the, whoever. That leadership structure is to prepare you. You are the key people that are accomplishing the mission, the ministry, me, right? We're the army. It's not, it's not uh, we're going to win this battle by having an army of five people. The rest of us are going to sit on the sidelines and eat popcorn and watch. That's, that's going like, to be like us Grizzly fans that watched what happened yesterday. <laughs> it was rough. <laughs> And thankfully, I was on the road to Canada in my little detention cell, so I missed the game, but I, I got, I got, as soon as I got back to the United States, I started getting some obnoxious text messages from, you know, other family members that are Bobcat fans. And what is the purpose of our ministry? It's to build the body of Christ. The body of Christ, the church, Jesus is the head. This is not like we're off doing our own little uh, unique, kind of creatively uh, manufactured religion. We're focused and devoted to Christ. But each part working properly, we make up the whole body so that we grow to ourselves. So why am I emphasizing that? I'm emphasizing that because of this next question. Who does God want? Who does God want in his army, on his team, in his body, making up the wholeness of carrying out his mission on earth. Who does he want? Everyone. Just, he wants everyone, right? He wants all of us. He wants every human being with a beating heart. <clears throat> he does not have this pre-selection criteria that says, you are not eligible to enter the body of Christ. That doesn't exist. You get these things in the mail, you are pre-approved for this credit card. Well, they send those to everybody, right? So <laughs> you, every human being out there, you are pre-approved to apply for membership into the body of Christ. The Bible says, it's the will of the Father that none should perish, but all should come to a knowledge of the truth. All. So it's our job to go reach those all. But before we do that, it's important to remember one thing. All these people out there, both in this room and out there on the streets and around the world, we're all different. And we get a little uncomfortable with that sometimes. We have, we have issues with this differentness that, that uh, we sometimes have to grapple with because, um, you know, if they're different from us and we're trying to relate to them and we're trying to share God's love with them, and it's going to cause us to have to get out of our comfort zone of who we are and who we think, this is really important, who we think God wants to be on his team. Who, what do we think a real Christian looks like? What do we think a uh, blessed um, 
going to be, you know, full of potential person that just bring them to Christ and, and watch God change their life. It's everybody. It's not like it has to fit into our little uh, group of, of uh, preferred friends just like us. I mean, look at me. I'm up here wearing a cardigan sweater. I mean, this is not the Mr. Rogers army of God. It's everybody. Do you remember an old song, Signs? It says, the sign says, long-haired, freaky people need not apply. No, so that, sh- that should be like our sign out there. Long-haired, pre- freaky people, please apply within, right? You're welcome. Come, come in. That's, that's who we're trying to reach, everybody, especially the ones that we don't, from our own human uh, cardigan-wearing uh, sense of, of comfort, that we are uncomfortable reaching. God says, okay, there's your, there's your mission field. So let's look at, let's look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And I, I'm not going to put it all up there, but I am going to read this. And just, just listen to this. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 31. For just as the, one, as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. All were made to drink of one spirit. That's his way of saying <clears throat> then how different it was, because he was speaking to uh, a world where there was a big division between Jews and Gentiles. And he's saying, get rid of that barrier. Get rid of that wall. Christ's blood is open for, and free for everybody. <clears throat> the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would, make it, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of a body. If the whole body were one eye, how could we hear? If the whole body were one ear, how could we smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If we were all single member, what would the body actually be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. In other words, it's up to God to decide how he uses his different, diverse, very diverse uh, array of members. It's not up to us. It's up to us to carry out his mission, which is reach them with love. It's not up to us to go, you need to take a bath before you can be clean. That's the whole purpose of salvation. He says, come in as you are and, and accept my love, accept my forgiveness, accept my lordship. God will then begin transforming them. But first is, let's go out and get them. Because who are we talking about? We're talking about the disconnected. We're talking about the solitary. We're talking about the people that are in the boat that we were in, whether it was yesterday or uh, when we were young, however we came to Christ. But we need to reach. We need to reach the lost. So, When we reach them, what does God do with us? It's kind of a continuation of the body example. He uses another example. In 1 Peter chapter 2, he talks about how he's building us as living stones in his, in his uh, temple or in his building. He uses a lot of different analogies. He uses the body analogy. He uses the, the building analogy. Jesus talks often about reaping and sowing and farming. And he uses all these different analogies to try and bring, you know, break through into human understanding. 
But what is it based on? It's based on 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. That living stone that was rejected by men, that's Jesus. Because he also did not fit their, uh, their job description of a Messiah, did he? <clears throat> he came to the poor. He was hanging around with drunks and prostitutes and tax collectors. He did not come leading an army to conquer the Romans and reestablish the earthly kingdom of David, which is what they all wanted and they all expected. He came to establish the kingdom of heaven. And to do that, he had to open up God's offer, not just to the Jewish people, but to all of us, all humanity. That's why he was rejected. He was the living stone that was rejected and, and crucified. In the same way, he's saying, those of you out there who you're feeling rejected by your family, by society, by, uh, by the church, right? He is saying, I was rejected. I know your feeling of rejection. I'm reaching out to you with my unconditional offer of love, forgiveness, salvation, and transformation. And the messengers of that gospel, it's us. We's us. <clears throat> this message, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. That message has to be carried by a messenger. If it's not carried by a messenger and people don't hear, how are they going to, uh, to, to know the gospel? If, if they don't hear the gospel, they don't know the gospel, then how are they to, to, to come to Jesus? So, what do we do with our new identity? This is where we're just going to look at one example that, um, and I'm going to skip ahead because then come back to this. We're going to look at one example that is just transformative. You can't go through the whole chapter right now, but when you, in your free time, read this chapter. This chapter is outstanding, and that's John chapter 4. And that is the, that is the story of Jesus uh, speaking to the Samaritan woman at the well. Now, a little background uh, on the Jews and the Samaritans. They were, they were basically of the same people, but they had disagreements over, and it goes all the way back to the Old Testament, over whether they were required to worship in Jerusalem or whether they could worship God anywhere, particularly in, in some other places that the Samaritans believed. There had built up a cultural, um, really, disdain. The Jewish people had kind of a cultural disdain for the Samaritans. Do you remember the story about uh, the man who was beaten on, uh, and left by the robbers, and then the good Samaritan came, and he did the righteous act that these, these pious Jewish people did not do. A rabbi came by, saw that he was injured on the side of the road, and he said, well, I'm too busy going to church, and he left. And then another man came by, another man came by, and finally a Samaritan came by. So Jesus was explaining how this Samaritan man saw, and the, impl the implication is that the man who was beaten and left on the side of the road was a Jewish man. Uh, I don't know if it says so directly, but that's what's implied. The Samaritan man takes him, uh, binds him up, heal, takes, his, takes care of his wounds, and then takes him to a place, pays the, the innkeeper to basically take care of him like a little uh, recovery hospital until he's, until he's well. So Jesus is using that example to teach to a very self-righteous group of Jewish people, saying, uh, you're so busy doing your, your religious do's and don'ts, that you're neglecting the poor and the injured, the helpless that are right, right in front of you. Whereas someone who you would look down upon, a Samaritan, he would do the righteous 
selfless giving thing to care for another, another person, okay? So this is how Jesus is basically walking out his own example in his life. He and his disciples are passing through an area in Samaria, and they stop out at the edge of town, and Jesus says he's going to rest, and he sends his disciples into town to get some food. A woman comes to the well, and she's drawing some water, and Jesus engages her in conversation, and through, through his interaction with her, he shows that he is, he is not a respecter of the human-created barriers that would ordinarily stop someone from reaching out with compassion for another person. First, he, he even asks her for water, which she finds surprising that a Jewish man was willing to accept water from a Samaritan woman from the well. Then he begins talking to her about her life and how she's had many husbands and she's living now fornicating with a man who's not her, even her husband. And so instead of throwing and casting stones on her, he is, he is basically meeting her at her place of sin and her place of insecurity and her place of disconnection, and he is offering her living water. And then because of that testimony, then many people in the village are interested in hearing about him because she runs back and says, I've met this amazing prophet. So he not only broke the barrier there, but then he teaches and speaks to other people in this village, other Samaritans, and they come to believe him. His disciples are somewhat dumbfounded by this because they're Jews, and he's the Messiah for, in their mind, the Jewish people, not for everybody else. And Jesus shows how he breaks down that barrier. He doesn't respect this pious, self-righteous division that would prevent his goodness from going to a people that need him. He sees a person in sin, a person in need, and he sees a community in need. So, that's what we need to do. We need to ask ourselves, what barriers, what barriers in, in our our community, our world, are in place. And we may not realize they're in place, but they're there nonetheless. What barriers are preventing us from reaching other people for Jesus Christ? So we're in the midst of a what appears to be a heated cultural, political conflict right now in America between Democrats, Republicans, uh, <laughs> pro-Trump, anti-Trump, whatever. And there appears to be almost like two different camps out there. And, and, and too many Christians seem to be kind of coalescing into one camp or the other based on what they think, you know, a political or uh, even congregational group would do. Those political battles, in one form or another, will always be there and have always been there. And people, wherever they are in that spectrum of that conflict, they all need Jesus Christ. And we can't let some of these fights, some of these petty, pointless, irresolvable fights from preventing us from reaching someone who maybe we know, maybe we work with them every day, but we just can't agree with them on some political thing. Who cares? We don't need to agree with them on political issues. We need to connect with them 
as human beings who are hurting, human beings who need salvation, human beings who are lonely, who need a friend. One of the things that the church is struggling with now and is going to struggle with more in coming years is what do we do about homosexuality? And this is not a message about homosexuality. This is a message about heterosexuals and homosexuals need Jesus Christ. And we know people in our lives who maybe we've felt there's some kind of an unstated barrier there. That barrier is not there in God's heart. He wants, he loves them. He wants to bring them into his family. There's a lot of work that happens inside people's hearts that Jesus does, that the Holy Spirit does, that we don't see. It's not our job to be that determiner. It's not our job to be that judge. It's our job to be that messenger. And then there's a lot of people that are Bobcat fans that need Jesus. <laughs> so we're back to this Acts chapter 1 verse 8 These are some of the last instructions from Jesus as he left uh, as he left the earth he says you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem Judea Samaria to the end of the earth and so the point of that to Jesus is, number one, start where you are. Start where you are, where you're living every day, where you're going to work, your neighbor, uh, somebody in your family, okay? Start where you are, and then you'll begin building out. Samaria is a little bit farther away, uh, or Judea is a little bit farther away, then Samaria is farther away to the end of the earth. We're, we're taking a trip to South Africa. We're going to the ends of the earth. So don't let... If you can't go to the end of the earth, you can't go to South Africa, well, it's okay. You can go to Jerusalem, can't you? Because you're in it every day. It's your, your home. But go, go, go. Look for those opportunities. And who's going to look for those opportunities? You are. I am. Because we are the saints that are carrying on the ministry. We're not going to look to just those, those, those highly spiritualized, highly qualified, and I don't mean that in a negative way, but those, we, can't, we can't look to the highly qualified people up front and say, okay, good luck doing the work of the ministry. Their job is to help get us ready to do the work of the ministry. So let's talk about that in the very near term. Thanksgiving is coming up this week. So uh, we have this family tradition where uh, we alternate family, uh, Christmas and Thanksgiving, one set of parent, grandparents, the other set of grandparents. So, uh, And both my parents and Julie's parents are known for just being generous. So we'll get there to a Thanksgiving or a Christmas event, and there'll be like two or three extra people there that were like, oh, hi, who are you? Uh, and my mom will always buy extra presents to have on hand because my little brother is notorious for just bringing a few extra strangers to Christmas. And we're, we're always, especially he, is always like looking for, hey, if you don't have someone to, somewhere to go, you don't have a family nearby for Thanksgiving, or you don't have one for Christmas, Hop in the car. Let's go. You know, like Dumb and Dumber thing where he's like, there's people on the side of the road. Pick them on up. And they're, they're in the back playing the, playing the band. Oh, sorry. If you haven't watched Dumb and Dumber lately, you know. That's right. That's right. But that's, that's an example where, where even right now, very soon, 
you may encounter someone this week who has nowhere to go for Thanksgiving. They're solitary. They need to be in a family. And if it's your family and your family is their introduction to the family of God, then do it. You know, bring them along. Throw some extra, you know, something in the, in the, food, in the oven to have a little extra food. And then you've got your life. You've got your school. You've got your kids' school. I mean, connecting with your kids as teachers. You want to talk about people that are working hard, trying to do the right thing, and they're stressed out? It's teachers. And we've done a lot of things to reach out to teachers, and they just, we think it's a small thing, and then they tell us at the end of the year how much they appreciate it. So let God guide you in those things. The point is to reach out and connect. The point is that there are people everywhere you go. And I'm, I'm a, as I said, I'm a prosecutor. I see it every week. I mean, we... It's amazing the pain that people in this community are dealing with, and we can live in a we can live kind of in a world where we don't even see it. But if you begin stepping out of your normal route, your normal routine, and looking for it, you will run into every day. If you're really looking, you will run into people that are lonely, that are broken, that are disconnected, that need Jesus Christ, and you are likely the best messenger of Jesus Christ to reach them. So that's my challenge to you. That's my motivation to you. And as we go into the Christmas season, this is a time of the year when a lot of those things are felt more deeply than other times of the year because this is supposed to be a time of family and togetherness. And so when that family and togetherness is missing and there's more hurt, I think that there's more of an opportunity for us to connect with people. So I would urge you and challenge you to do that.